And welcome back to The Mailroom, where we interview aspiring entertainment industry professionals. I'm Steven. And I'm Tyler. And today we have on Rachel Heffler. She is a comedy manager at Framework Entertainment. And she pretty much streamlined Hollywood. Yes, she did. She was three years at an agency, three years at a management company, and now she's a comedy manager at 27 years old. And she's managing, what, like 16 multi-hyphenates, oh, getting people gigs all over town. It's a cool world, this comedy world of Hollywood. I mean, she's worked with people like Pete Davidson, Bob Saget. Now we got to talk to her kind of about what she does for these up-and-coming comedians. Oh, yeah. It's cool. And I mean, she was talking a lot about networking. The way I know Rachel is through one of my best friends, Jordan Heffler. Oh, let's give him a shout out. But anyway, back to Rachel. <laughs> back to Rachel. <laughs> she came here to share her experience as a young manager in Hollywood. And the times are changing and the grapes are going. <laughs> yeah, grapes are going because we're eating grapes on the podcast today. <laughs> well, ASMR for you. What's that mean? Uh, ASMR is like when people get really close to the mic. People are really into that. You What's know that? it stand for? I don't know. I think it's like audio, <laughs> audio sensory, uh, I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, here's some ASMR for you, and here's some mailroom. <laughs> Thanks, Rachel, for coming on. Thank you for having me. Of course. All right, so... Let's get into it. What do you do? I am a comedy talent manager at and, Framework Entertainment. And so comedy talent. This is stand-up. These are people trying to be on Saturday Night Live. What, who is it that you're representing? Exactly that. So it's uh, pretty much everyone I find. I do it through going to live shows. A lot of finding people on uh, TikTok and Instagram and, you know, the digital space has become much bigger in the pandemic. Um, but at the end of the day, all those people want to act and, you know, a lot of them already do have credits. Um, so it's really comedy talent across the board. A lot of them are multi-hyphenate, so a lot of them also write. Uh, I had a client on uh, Colbert's Tuning Out the News and Our Cartoon President. She was a writer and she voiced a couple characters there. Um, yeah, pretty much comedy actors. So exactly, the people you would see on SNL. I, I sign them in their early stages. I help get them you know, through the SNL process and the interview process and auditioning. And So are you on the phone with Lauren Michaels ever and being like, hey, Lauren, <laughs> like, I got the perfect person for you. I'm on the phone with Lauren's people <laughs> every day, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Every day? Yeah. Wow. They'll, they'll like, they'll like, talent scouters and you know the people who are who are really booking it these days so the goal really like is the goal just to get somebody on saturday night live no and something i tell my clients all the time is that 40 years ago that was the biggest way to get into comedy now there are so many other ways so i don't know if you guys know the just for laughs festival mm -hmm. one of my clients was a new face characters last year that kate owens um and she's also uh, you know, SNL is something she would love to do too, but there's a lot of other ways to get eyes on you, especially now. Um, you know, in the past two years, I've signed at least five or six people from, uh, you know, from finding them on TikTok and off of, you know, character videos that they put out. And they're, a perfect example I'll give is 
Uh, a couple years ago, I was working with Chloe Feynman, actually, when she got SNL. That's cool. And she, uh, she got on SNL's radar through, really through Instagram. It was before TikTok. It was, she was just putting out these funny videos and, you know, that and the whole, uh, like, Meg Stalter is a perfect example. She, she was up for SNL. It didn't end up, you know, being, being the right fit, but, uh, she, put her content out online, got a lot of views, and then obviously got on hacks, and it's it's just a different route. So so yes and no. SNL is a big part of, you know, a lot of my clients' auditions. I wouldn't say for them to ever pass on SNL, right. but it's not the end-all, be-all at mm-hmm. all, and there's a lot of other ways to get there. Because it's changed. The industry because changed. of, yeah, the industry's changed. The digital has opened up a lot of just, you know, building fans from from the yourself putting content out and not or Rachel Sanat's another perfect example with with Shiva baby you know she oh, I watched that yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Rachel's great um but you know that yeah that wasn't the SNL route and she's so successful and it, it's you know neither here nor there yeah I guess I feel there are so many avenues right now I guess with streaming and yeah. They're making oh, yeah. so much content that there's just so many ways to have something totally. to do. And, and with the streaming, it's, you know, the traditional pilot season that's been, you know, since I started has been so stressful every, you know, January to, to May. It's like you're reading everything and you're putting your clients up for everything and you're working double time. Uh, the traditional pilot season is has changed so much be, because really COVID's been a huge part of that because now, well, COVID and the streaming services, execs have really been trying to find an excuse to uh, get rid of the traditional pilot season. And now with, with the streaming services, they're, you know, they can cast in and do make the thing year round. It doesn't just have to be, you know, for upfronts and, and in that limited time in the beginning of the year. Right. So, oh, and then with the COVID part of it, so much got backed up that they ended up shooting, you know, whenever they could, whenever people were able to work and, you know, with the vaccines and with the mandates and all of that. So, uh, you know, all of that combined, it's really pilot season looks much different than it used to. Mm-hmm. I don't know, like, the first thing about talent (laughs) scouting at all. But one thing I think that you said before that is really cool is that you go to live shows, and that's how you source a lot of your talent. So what is that process like? Like, are you guys, are there a bunch of talent scouts there, and, like, you kind of have to duke it out if you see somebody that you really like? Like, How does that all work? Yeah, so it, the the way that I sign... Uh, is very early on. I, I want to try to get in there before it gets very competitive, mm. and it gets very competitive quickly. I've seen it, yeah. you know, in the past couple of years, people are signing earlier and earlier. Um, a lot of it comes down to, or comes back to, with the digital part of it, there's just already a lot more eyes on these talents, so it becomes more competitive in the rep space, too. Um, I am not really going to, like... The comedy store or the improv or the laugh factory i've you know been to those places obviously but that's not where i go to scout that's where you know the big comics are i'm going to 
underground at backyard comedy shows. I was on Friday night. I took my parents to a show in like in a back alley, and there's <laughs> there's a girl there who I thought was incredible, and I you know this week I'm gonna reach out to her, but uh, that's really where I'm finding the really talented, likely not well. It's a mix, but a lot of them are unrepped. Um, and one thing is. I started in New York. I was in New York for three years at an agency, and then I moved out here. And uh, that's, like, the biggest thing that I miss is the, the New York comedy scene because it's very... Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just a lot... I don't want to say a lot more talented people or anything like that because, you know, it's really great here in L.A. too. But uh, there's something there's something really special about the New York comedy scene of just voices that you haven't seen before and you know in LA like I said when you go into the to comedy store or the improv it's a lot of it's it's the big names you know the mm-hmm. people who make it big and then they move out here um so that's I, I try to replicate the New York scene by going to the the smaller places out here and how are you finding these smaller places because I don't even know the first place to look. <laughs> I'll take you. No. Uh, <laughs> Let's go. I would love to go. Let's go to the alley. <laughs> so like before pandemic, well I guess during pandemic, we were going to jam in the van. Have you heard? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's where I discovered comedy in LA. Cool. Like I wasn't, I'd never been to the comedy store laugh at, like they, I don't know, it was just big headliners, like mm-hmm. more expensive tickets, but like it was jam in the van where like it was these almost like TikTok personality yeah. people that were coming up and they would bring their friends as opposed to just like seeing all these names who've been in LA for a while. Mm-hmm. And it was really exciting. Like it was a very close, intimate outdoor experience. Yeah. yeah. And so where are you finding these shows? Like a lot of it is uh, my friends host host a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple good ones are Faded Comedies every Friday on Melrose aggressively alive uh is the last wednesday of every month uh, both of those are hosted by friends of mine but it's it it's kind of just word of mouth there isn't there's not like a website that gives you mm-hmm. i have like a website that has all the uh all the open mics every week and that that's helpful if i have you know clients in town from new york and they're looking to get on open mics i'll send them the list and they'll be able to go on those but uh it's it's pretty much just kind of word of mouth with the smaller places. So are there any people in comedy, let's say like actors, that didn't get their start in improv? Like, And, are, and are, how are you finding those people? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and you're talking about more like on-screen, on-screen comedy talent. Yeah. Some of those people, uh, well, I, I look to sign people sometimes who are, uh, you know, a really small role in in like a you know cool show that I'm watching. Oh, um, that's interesting. Like, what's an example of that? Like, uh, you know, the show Dave, mm-hmm. the girl who plays Lil Dicky's girlfriend in yeah. season one. Yeah, she Allie. She is so funny, and I she's an example of someone who I like figured was definitely wrecked. She's a series regular in a huge, you know, the FX for Hulu show. Uh, I looked her up, and she didn't have a manager. She only had an agent. So it didn't end up... She wasn't, at the time, looking for a manager. I, I'm, I don't think she still has a manager. But, um, but you know, 
loving her, seeing like how yeah I guess like quote unquote like not wrapped up she was. Uh, I like jumped on that, um, but usually it'll be smaller people in shows. I'm, I'll f- I'm trying to think of an example now, or or in a movie, the kid. Of course, I'm blanking on his name. The kid in uh, Jojo Rabbit, the little the little chubby friend. <laughs> don't the glasses. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, one, the one in the new Home Alone. Movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, he was amazing, and you know, this at the second I got out of that movie, I looked him up. He didn't have a manager. That that also is one that became very competitive out the gate. But that's an example of like uh, someone, you know, whether they have a couple credits or not, or you know, it doesn't matter if they have like thousands of followers, if they have five followers, if if I'm very passionate about someone uh, and they don't have a manager, like I'll reach out to them, you know, the second they're on my radar. So are you noticing like just because there's more content in the streaming? universe right now that I guess there's just more actors that they need and then because of that there's more actors that are not repped is that like a pattern that you're noticing at all or is this these just flukes that kind of happen no yeah a hundred percent and I uh a client of mine who I signed a couple months ago who I love and I really think she's gonna she's gonna hit soon um I signed her and then the next day coincidentally she texted me being like this this casting office reached out to me on TikTok and they, you know, have this role they want me to audition for. Like, do you think it's a good idea? And I, I was like, you know, I, I'm very familiar with the casting office and the show the, that they reach out to her about. Mm-hmm. And I was like, absolutely, yes. Like, you know, refer them to me, have them reach out to me. And I had them do that. And then I sent her a clean email with the script and with all of the info she needed to tape. But, uh, but that, that was a perfect example of they found her through TikTok and she didn't have to be repped. They didn't care. They they thought she was perfect for the role. So That's so... It's like the Wild West. Yeah. So right casting <laughs> is definitely also noticing that and reaching out to people. So, it, I mean, I guess five years ago, the landscape was completely different. Like, completely different. And would... you had to have rep. Yeah. Now, a lot of it is the other way around. I why did you have finding to have people after they're already in something. Yeah. Why did you have to have rep? Why was that a thing that... like? Isn't this the easier way? Why why did it always have to go through the managers as opposed to... When the digital space wasn't as big, it was... Rep was really the only way that talent would get on casting's radar. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm i in touch with, uh, you know, a lot of casting offices every day. And when I sign someone new, I'll say this person's now, now a client. Like, if anything seems right for them, and then they might have a project that's right for them the next day and then I'll have that client go on tape so a lot of it is you know me being the middleman and making sure you know that the talent is on the casting person's radar and not to go against your job or anything (laughs) that but um is there still a need for managers to exist to be that middleman with like the digital age going a hundred percent. We're the one connecting the dots. We're, uh, you know, reading everything, putting our clients up for everything. Um, in my opinion, managers and agents both uh, very much uh, are, are helping get the opportunities in front of the clients. It's not non-existent without rep at all, and we're seeing that more and more, but it's definitely 
that, you know, talent has way more volume when they have a good rep. That makes sense. How many people do you rep right now? Uh, yeah. 16. Wow. And what's the, what's the ideal type of client you're looking for? Yeah. Uh, I really, I really do look for multi-hyphenate. Mm. Um, one of the first things I ask someone when I'm meeting with them is if I did find them, you know, through like a funny comedy TikTok video, if it's sure. something like that, I ask if, uh, if they, if they want to act or if, you know, what their priorities are and if, you know, it's when, when I'm meeting with a, with a potential client, there are, there are so many different ways to, so many different facets of what they might want to do, whether it's, and coming from the agency side, I've seen a lot of these facets more than I otherwise would where, have. Where were you at the agency before? I was at ICM. In New York? In New York. So, you're, you take any, you know, comedy actor, they likely, not always at all, but either do stand-up or improv or sketch, and touring is something they might want to do. They might sing, and Broadway might be something they want to do. They, uh, they might want to be in commercials. They might, might want to do voiceover. They might want to do branded things, and right. especially on digital, there's a lot of, there's a lot more of, you know, you see people monetizing it and putting ads up, and there's a lot of money behind that. Um, and that's all connected to the manager, too. I'm helping get those opportunities for my clients. Um, yeah, the theater, branded commercials, touring, acting, writing. Most of them also either want to write, have written. Um, so when you're looking at any given, you know, person who is, you know, a comedy talent type, mm -hmm. they... There, there's all of these other things that they probably want to do. So as a manager, I'm, you know, the first thing I ask is, what else do you do? What, you know, in five years, what's, what's the plan? Or can you point to, uh, can you point to someone whose career you ideally want to have? That type of thing. Um, a lot of the responses I get are Kristen Wiig, which I find funny. <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, you know, like like one day owning their own company, like producing, like all of these different things. So I help put them in front of the people who can make all of those different things happen. Um, I have really good relationships with, uh, like, animation casting directors, people who, you know, voice Disney movies, things mm -hmm. like that. And anytime I sign a new client, I send them to her. And you know, make sure they're on her radar if they want to do voice acting, if they want to do brand stuff. I'll you know call a friend and branded, and you know make sure they're on his radar. Th things like that. So it's I, I'm really with a lot of it the middleman and making sure they're in front of the right people at the right time. So with like all these multifaceted talent, when they come to you and they have like all these ideas of what they want to mm -hmm. be in, what are what are the skills it takes for you to actually execute? and bring those things to life? The skills that they have? No, the skills that you have. Oh. Like, like, uh, let's say a talent comes to you and like, I want to do Broadway, I also want to be on SNL, and oh, I want to yeah. like, tour. It's all connections. connections. It's all connections. That's what, that like, in college, I, you know, I majored in TV, radio, film. Where? 
Syracuse, the new house program. Classic. And they, <laughs> one of my professors, uh, senior year, it was almost like, at the time, I almost looked at it like a joke. We had no homework. Our homework was maybe once a week. We had to type up like three sentences about, about like an industry professional. And uh, the, his whole thing was, it's, it's an industry about who you know. Meet as many people as you can. Be in as many places as you can. And that was the best advice I've ever gotten. Um, he also was really the only person who ever said, uh, pick up the phone, be bold, reach out to people. And that's what ended up landing me my first job at, at ICM in New York. Hmm. So. What's the story there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the agent that I worked with out of school, her name's Ayala Cohen. She's, she's uh, the head of comedy in New York at ICM. And I always kind of knew I wanted to work in comedy in some way. And I was thinking maybe working with talents looks fun. I don't really know. And so the head of comedy, is that comedy booking? Is it? Head of comedy talent. Okay. So some of her clients, that's, that's what I was working with Chloe Feynman. Some of her clients mm. are Pete Davidson, uh, Cecily Strong, a couple SNL writers. She, she Ayala, was the comedy was was the talent booker at SNL for 20 years before she moved over to ICM. Wow. So she, both in the guests and both in finding the talent. So there was one time she said something like, uh, you know, getting Kate McKinnon on SNL was, was the last thing that, that I did before I left. And I was like, that is so cool. <laughs> um, but I looked at, in college, I, I, was, I was always on IMDb and I was looking at, you know, who represents the talent that I that I like and I kept seeing I kept seeing Ayala's name so my last semester in college I think it was like February I uh, I just shot her an email and I basically said um, she had Nikki Glazer at the time and Nikki Glazer's Comedy Central show Not Safe premiered the night before so it was like everything was kind of perfect timing that it made sense to reach out to her. So the basis of why I was reaching out to her was congratulating her on Nikki's show. And you knew her at this point, or was it a cold email? It was a cold email. Oh, no. my. Um, I was like, there's no chance in hell she responds, but what do I have to lose, right? Uh, so I said something like, um, yeah, I, I'm a senior at Syracuse. I keep coming across your name in the trades and on IMDb. Uh, and I, I watched... The premiere of Not Safe last night, and you know Nikki's, uh, you know Nikki's great, and I basically like I just can't wait to see what else you do and what else your clients do. And I think I said uh, like SNL is one of my favorite shows, and Transparent because she has Amy Landecker, uh, and Portlandia. I said those are my those are three of my favorite shows because she also was a talent consultant on Portlandia wow. before. Um, so I, you know I obviously did a little research on her, but. Uh, I sent that email off, was sure she wasn't going to respond. It was a Friday morning. Within two minutes, I get an email back from her saying, like, like this is the nicest email ever. Like, if you're ever in New York, let me know. I'd love to have you come in and meet with me. So I took the next week off because it was second semester senior year. I was, the only thing that I cared about and that my professors cared about was, like, our, getting our jobs, right? right? Um and I think I said to Ayala, like, I'm actually going to be in town next week. Uh, just for her. Yeah, 
turns out I think I said like I, like for spring break or so, I made whatever whatever it was made I was like I'm actually going to be in town all next week right. uh, let me know if like there's a good time for me to come in and meet and I was going to obviously make myself available whenever it worked for her mm. it was my it would have been my dream to work for her um, I went to New York for the week I stayed with a friend uh, just like slept on my friend's couch and I went in and met with Ayala and we super hit it off um, she ended up sending my resume to HR. I get a call from HR the next week being like, uh, you know, you were highly recommended by Ayala. Would love to meet with you. It was basically like Ayala hired me. Ayala like basically told HR to hire me. So that's li- like, if there's any takeaway from this, from me doing this podcast, it's absolutely reach out to anyone. Do not be afraid to reach out. And you're probably, for every response you get, you're going to get 10, you know, people ignore you. Mm-hmm. And that, do not let that discourage you. Because especially, like, there, and I saw this when I was working for Ayala, and then when I moved to L.A. and I was working at a, at a management company for a couple of years, uh, the, the talent, you know, the talent that they, that they rep, you know, I've been working with Pete Davidson for five plus years, he gets fan mail every day, wedding invitations every day. The people behind the scenes don't at all. They don't get any of that. If you reach out to, you know, if you want to work for a producer, if you whatever you want to do, reach out to the person doing what you want to do. Send them a note like that. If you can, not ask them for anything and say, I mean, I'm, I'm just saying this from experience because of how well it worked for me, but if you can just say basically like, I'm a fan of your work, like excited to keep watching and I think that that's almost more impressive to them um so that's you know I, I know that I got lucky of course but if I didn't do that none of none of this would have happened so that's what I would say to anyone wanting to break it that's amazing I I can chime in there and just like from managing now like from now managing an inbox at an agency I think before I kind of think like, oh, if I send an email, suddenly you just get lost in the yes. In the but that's not really how it works. Like as at an agency or a management company or a production company, you read every single email that yep. lands on your desk. So at the end of the day, if you're sending an email that deserves the read, I think someone will totally read it. And if it's exactly what you just said, if it's worth the read, someone someone will read it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, there there are dicks out there who just delete emails based on subject line but like that's not most people and back to Ayala I think I made the subject line something like I think I made the subject line not safe with Nikki Glaser so of course she's gonna open it it's about her client right you know it wasn't like hi from it would have it would have been fine if it was like you know hi Rachel Hoffler from from Syracuse because I if the Nikki thing wasn't in the picture I probably would have made the subject something like that but I guess, yeah, I guess if you can be smart about what you make the subject and make sure they open it and then it's a well-written email, like, boom, that's, you know, yeah. very likely that it'll work out in your favor. So you got hired at ICM. What was your first role at ICM? So I was, I was an assistant to another uh, comedy agent there. And then about six months in, that comedy agent left for a different company. And at the time when I was starting... I probably, not probably, I definitely was not qualified enough to, to work for Ayala. So if the other comedy agent didn't have 
uh, his desk opening up, then I probably would have been like in the flo- like a floater or in the mailroom, something like that. So another comedy at the time, this comedy agent left. Another comedy agent also had their desk open up. Is that what you're saying? No. So I didn't work for Ayala off the gate. I worked for right. a colleague of hers who okay. left the company. Who hit? Yeah, his assistant. Uh, his assistant was leaving as I was graduating, so that oh, was, it was it was so that, an obvious. And that was your opening. first job. That was my first job. Got it. Um, yeah. So then he left the company. It didn't make sense for me to go with him. Uh, and then I had, you know, at that point I had six months of of assistant experience, which isn't a ton, but it was, you know, a little bit under my belt. And he and Ayala shared a lot of business. So I kind of saw, you know, I, I worked very closely with her too. It ended up being a very natural transition that I went over and worked for her. So I, you know, six months in, went over and started as Ayala's assistant. Her assistant was promoted to a coordinator. And then I worked for her for three years, maybe a little less than three years. Wow. And, and that was in New York. And that's when I was... Uh, every night I'd hit like two to three comedy shows, you know, hop on the subway, go to the cellar, go to UCB, whatever it was. Um, and at the time, obviously they weren't my clients. I was going to support IELTS clients. I was going to just scout shows, going to JFL showcases and reporting back to, to ICM, like the people I found who I thought were talented. Um, but I obviously couldn't do anything about it, Mm -hmm. but it was really, really good experience for me. And I remember like at the time I saw... Rachel Sanat and Rami Youssef, two separate stories, both at underground comedy shows. Wow. One, was, one was like a like a uh, NYU showcase, I think, oh, or that's just cool. a just a random show. And I said to ICM, uh, both separately, like like a year apart, probably uh, about Rami and about Rachel, because they both had zero representation at the time. And this was before obviously before Rami's show and before JFL and mm-hmm. all of that. And uh, ICM kind of said, thumbs up, great, keep tracking them. Nothing for me to do. Uh, and I then obviously saw both of them have their own success. And that happened with with a couple other people. Jarrell Jerome I saw really early on and really you know wish I could have signed him before he had any representation, uh, before Moonlight. And... Um, I kind of was thinking, I really wish I could do something about, you know, I really wish I could work with these people from the ground up. And it became obvious that management was, you can kind of sign early or you can develop them. It's not just, um, it's not just dollar signs. Do you know, like at the agencies, they're more conservative. Is that kind of like a, a, like as in they don't need to be the ones that, find a client yes. right off the bat yes like that they have that safety net that yes can... and it's more they they like to work with people who are a little more established they like mm-hmm. you know not really taking a chance on people from from what i've <laughs> seen um so i was seeing i was just kind of on like imdb i'm always on imdb i was seeing uh managers kind of working with I guess like lower level people, more developmental people who I, who I also loved. Um, and it, over time, over like a year, I kind of was realizing I want to be a manager. I want to be a comedy talent manager. So I took a trip out to LA, uh, when I was still working for Ayala. I had a, 
at that point, I'd been working with her, you know, long enough that it was no surprise that I that if I was leaving, it's not like I was, you know, doing anything. Leaving her the dust. Or right. Yeah. Um, and she and I sat down and kind of talked about like who makes sense for me to meet with on the management side in LA. Um, so I met with a couple managers that she worked very closely with. So there was a little bit of familiarity with me. Um, but I definitely wanted to put it out there or else they would, first of all, they wouldn't even really think twice about me. But second of all, they would just like assume I'd be, you know, climbing the ranks at ICN. Mm-hmm. So met with a couple comedy managers in LA and ended up getting a job at Brillstein off of one of those meetings. And so I have a question just about working at ICM. Do you feel like you stayed longer than you needed to, or was it a perfect amount of time those three years? No, I think it was a perfect amount of time. I, I really was still uh, learning something new every day. And uh, I no, I, I, love, I loved the people I was working with, and I got to see so many shows. Um, no, I think that there's a... There's really this like misconception of people just wanting to you know be promoted so soon and you know thinking that they like put in the groundwork and it's like just put your head down and do the work and you will learn and you'll absorb like I was on all of all of the calls you know and I you know, I wasn't doing stuff with my clients but I was hearing the way that someone like Ayala or someone like my boss at Burlstein, his name is Tim, um, how they were, you know, doing the negotiations and, and just the, the day-to-day management of really the highest level comedy talent out there. So, no, I definitely don't think I stayed at either company too long. And I, I really learned what I needed to in order to, to now, I, now I'm at this company framework and I'm a comedy manager and I'm really able to apply what I've learned over the past, you know, five, six years. And I don't know if we said this before, but when I first asked you to come on the podcast about, what, was it a month and a half ago, maybe two months ago, yeah. you were fully at Brillstein. You're yes. still an assistant. Yes. And, right. so, and now you're so, fully a manager. So I, <laughs> I then went to, I moved out to LA for, uh, for this position at Brillstein and, uh, I was, I was, uh, the assistant to the one of the heads of comedy there, um, working with very similar talent, uh, you know, a lot of SNL type people, uh, you know, people with with Netflix specials and all of that. Definitely recognizable names. Um, and I was there for uh, exactly three years. So I did exactly three years at ICM and then three at Brillstein. Um, and and how old does that make you now? Twenty seven. So young. <laughs> <laughs> I was lucky to start right out of college. That, yeah, that's a yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's cool. So, you know, working with the Seth Meyers and the Pete Davidsons and Bob Saget's and doing all of their day to day stuff for years, I like. To, I'm reiterating what I just said, but now I'm able to apply it to my people. I know. The people I know, the key players, you know, in comedy, and uh, I, you know, I, I'm able to do it, but on the level of really from the ground up, and really with people I I believe in so much and want to get, you know, to 
you know, to the established levels. And were there management opportunities in New York? So I originally was looking in New York. I was trying to stay in New York. Um, it's a lot. Uh, it's just, it's not as easy to find something in New York in general. Um, there are, the management companies have, have smaller presences. One of the, one of the companies that I had been talking to, uh, doesn't have a New York office at all. And all of their people are out here. Um, and Brillstein really only has a few people in New York and then very much based in LA. So it's definitely possible. And if, if I found a right opening, you know, an opening that made sense at the time, I would have stayed in New York, but uh, I'm very, very, I wouldn't change a single thing. I'm very happy that I had a couple of years of the New York experience. And now I'm, you know, I'm obviously still young and in a position where I'm, I have so much more to like, so many more people to meet and, you know, things to learn still. Um, and now being out here, I, you know, I'm out to drinks and dinners and XYZ seeing shows all the time. And I'm, you know, able to meet the people in LA. So I, I really feel like, I have a lot of people in New York that I that I love and you know on the agency side, management side, production company, studios, whatever it is, and I'm building that in LA now too. And where do you see yourself settling? <laughs> I uh, I know people hate hate like the the being bicoastal thing, but that's really like the dream for me. Really? I, I wow. want to. I see my my fiance also works. Uh, you know, in entertainment, mm-hmm. and she's out here uh, with me. We actually moved out from New York together. Oh, wow. Um, but for both where of she, us... Where does she work? Uh, Small Dog Picture Co., Jason Weiner's company. Mm-hmm. They okay. did the big leap. Um, she's in kind of development over there. Um, so for both of us, it really... We can be either place. I, I can't. I don't really see myself going back to, like, Philly. But, um, but, uh, ideally we have a place here and then, you know, if if we are successful, uh, (laughs) we have like a studio apartment in New York. And right now I still, I just signed a couple people out of New York, but one of them was from seeing a show there a couple months ago. So I, I definitely like every couple months try to make it to New York, scout there and, you know, crash on a friend's couch there. Um, but it's very important to me. I have a presence in both. That's amazing. I, I also want to provide some context here of just how we know each other. Yeah. yeah. So my friend Jordan from from growing up, one of my best friends, is your cousin. And yeah. I reached out to you. I, I think it was, I remember being at his house. I was, it was over COVID. I probably just graduated over the summer. And I was like, oh, I'm going to entertainment. Like, it was just another thing. He was like, oh, you should meet my cousin. I was like, why is this never come up like i don't understand but going wasn't in it not even jordan wasn't it his mom i think it i think it was you should talk to rachel right. right. and i was like jordan what are you what are you doing here like clearly Please, been going jordan doesn't know what i do <laughs> so yeah i didn't even think of this so i we connected and i i think we talked on the phone for a little bit maybe i think we played some pickleball over the summer yeah. too okay. and then you started throwing me all these amazing connections to people I still keep in touch with. You're a very connected person for even, that was two years ago. Now you're a manager. I'm sure there's been quadruple 
connection since then, so. There's also been a pandemic, so and, there was uh, a lot of missed <laughs> drinks now. Uh, but, you know, with, with Zoom has been, been huge just for, like, coffee meetings and, and Zoom drinks. and So how did how did that come into play when the pandemic hit? And I'm assuming you were probably like on a roll, full force, a lot of momentum yeah. working at Brillstein. What happened like with the whole comedy world when the pandemic hit and how did you kind of handle that? Yeah, they, I mean, off the bat, like a lot of the people I worked with at Brillstein were stand-ups and they got hit really hard. I mean, all of the, the tours were, uh, I, I did not envy the people working in comedy touring because, mm-hmm. you know, on, on the, just, you know, the people who, who actually had like tours lined up, they were all hit and multiple times fully rescheduled for, you know, 2021 and then pushed to later in 2021. And that is a, that is so brutal. The pe- people working in touring, well, you know, it's, you know, they, they line them up like a, like a year in advance. Um, so that just it took a really hard hit. But then on the, uh, just more of like local, doing local stand-up sets, um, obviously also got, got hit. Uh, they, you know, a lot of them went, went to Zoom. So there started being a lot of like Zoom stand-up right. shows. Mm-hmm. And they were very hit or miss. I, I attended <laughs> a few I, I started realizing it wasn't the best way for me to find new talent, um, but I would, you know, watch when, if a client of mine was performing or if a client of mine was hosting or something like that, but they, they made it work, um, and then when uh, things started lighting, lightening up a little bit and, you know, things were changing a little bit, outdoor comedy shows came back, and I went to some, like, park shows where it would be 15 people or sometimes a lot of times less on bleachers you know at poinsettia park and there'd be someone doing stand-up there um but yeah I mean, the, the biggest thing with that i've seen with the comedy world in the pandemic was the shift to to online so to a lot of people realizing you know i need to get eyes on me another way so creating TikTok accounts and putting out uh, just like, you know, funny like 10 second videos, which have really caught my eye because I'm seeing, I'm seeing the creativity behind them. I'm seeing, Mm -hmm. you know, the the writing chops behind these like funny videos that are, that are out there. Um, I started signing people from uh, different cities that, you know, I, I, they're not doing local LA sets. So I I got more into the Chicago scene. I signed a couple people out of Chicago. Um, so it's been, uh, it's been beneficial definitely in some ways for, for you know people trying to break into comedy, and I, I am a very big proponent of the putting your stuff online. It's not you, you, the people doing that. Some of them, the ones who you know I'm referring to, are they're not like TikTok personalities. They're comedians who have just found another outlet, and. Um, it's they're just creating a an online portfolio basically as opposed to just like being you know just like a, a funny person online I, I don't look at it that way at all and I, I know because of how competitive it is with a lot of the people that I am eyeing I know how uh, that it's the same way with a lot of other agencies and management companies are, are looking online 
Wow. Like, it's it's such a disadvantage if you don't have an online portfolio, right? If you're not utilizing, if you're not this utilizing digital, that. digital space. Yes and no. I, like, I wouldn't... I wouldn't not sign someone because they don't have, like, the numbers. I That's a really good question. It's... I, I, I guess I, I'm saying I wouldn't hold it against someone if they're not, but... But yes, I do think in a lot of ways it's a missed opportunity if if you're funny and you could be putting stuff online and you're not. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So also, what is your day-to-day? So like, I guess, is this a 24-hour job for you? Is that how you do it? And <laughs> so what, what do you do? You wake up in the morning and what, what's the first thing you do when, and what's the last thing yeah. you do before you end uh, Day-to-day, no matter what the rest of the day look like, looks like, I'm uh, I'm on Breakdown Breakdown Express and putting my clients up for for acting roles. What's Breakdown Express? It's uh, it's enlighten like in, uh, what? <laughs> I said enlighten us. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know. But you had the answer. <laughs> it's a website that has pretty much everything casting uh, from the the biggest shows out there. You know, White Lotus Tax, whatever you could. Could anyone use this website, or do you need access? I've only had access through the companies I've been at. Pretty Mm -hmm. much every rep company has has a breakdowns account. Um, But I, yeah, I'm sure you could like create your own. I'm sure. I mean, you it would cost, Mm -hmm. but um, it's uh, it has basically every project that's casting like hundreds are posted a day because everything is very actively casting um and it'll be uh tv shows pilots a lot of pilots right now um you know movies student films short films you can get pretty much anything up there and uh i'm scouting to you know put put my clients up for the roles especially I, I put all of my clients up, but especially my clients who don't have agencies, I'm filling that void. Mm. So I'm making sure to, you know, be in touch with casting and getting them up for any role that's right and trying not to miss anything, um, especially if they don't have agents, because that's essentially the job of agents. Not the only job, but agents are the ones who, you know, are supposed to put opportunities in front of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that at the bare minimum, that's like how I start my day. And then... Every day is so cliche. Every day is different, but <laughs> but no, every every day is different. My clients, like one of my clients, is coming to LA in two weeks and wants to test out new material. So I'm helping get her on some local sets here. So it's uh, you know just reaching out to friends and helping get her on some local sets. Um, it's reading, reading like every script that's at every. Well, pilot, every pilot that's out, um, and you know, seeing what roles make sense for the clients. Um, it's a lot of nights. It's especially now go, going out to comedy shows again, and you know, finding new voices because now I'm in a place where I'm able to to sign new people. Um, it's just continuing to build upon the relationships that I've been making over the past couple of years and. Uh, really catching up with people like I said earlier it's, it is such just an industry of connections and mm-hmm. uh, you know so many of the people that I've like 
quote unquote met through work, both at ICM and at Brillstein, uh, and just like people I've gone to drinks with, have become really close friends of mine. And like it's not a work relationship, it's a friendship. Um, and I think that's really important too in, in just having like an easy call. Um, it's, what do I do on a daily basis? That's, that's a great question. <laughs> I, I do a, a million things and I can't think of one right now. Um, How much are you interfacing with your clients on a daily basis? Just like talking to them? Yeah, do you communicate with uh, them? Like, yes, so I talk frequently? to all of my clients at the bare minimum weekly mostly like most of them every day mm-hmm. just it, kind of what I was saying with uh, they all have these like different facets you know all these different components to them and things that they want to do it's mm-hmm. it's nurturing for all of them all of those different things so it's a lot of uh, setting up like general meetings for my clients both with um, like junior level producers at you know production companies or at uh, like studios or networks or whatever makes sense uh, to help if they have uh, if they have like a script that they want eyes on to potentially sell um, then I'll set them up with uh, yeah exactly with like producers to potentially see if there could be a partnership there um, or with if they don't have an agent I'm the one helping them get an agent so I'll you know, set them up with agencies that I think might be a fit for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, agents that I work with most closely. Um, right now, because I'm very new to the new company, a colleague of mine came over to, to Framework Entertainment together as, as comedy managers. Um, it's a lot of just calling people and saying, hey, I'm here now. Uh, let's find business together. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fun. It's all really fun and it's busy, (laughs) but I I want my clients to succeed and really whatever they need from me, I'm, I'm their point person. And so how, like you've 16 clients, how are you staying organized with all 16 of these clients and knowing what comes first and what you can wait till the next day and so on? A lot of it uh, sorry, has just come from seeing at, at my last two companies like the kind of what my previous bosses have prioritized and what can wait. And it's a lot of, in entertainment, a lot of people like to think everything's life or death, you know, and mm-hmm. it's, it's not. Like oh. some things, <laughs> yes, some things are very high priority if there's a... Uh, like for example if there's a self-tape deadline that that my client is trying to hit if I got an if I got an email with the self-tape request and it said and this is I'm saying if this is how I got the request um and it's a deadline of like noon ET on Friday the whatever date then there's a little bit of flexibility there if the client you know if the client can't send it to me until like right before and then maybe I send it in five minutes late because I got it right before the deadline. If if the request came to me over email, that's fine. Like I can send it in a few minutes late. If the request came to me through this thing called EcoCast, which is connected to Breakdown Express, the self-tape, uploading the self-tape, you're no longer able to do it. It becomes 
like not no longer active after that time if if that's I feel like I, I made this way more complicated than it was, but we're following. If yeah, that's on, how the request it. came in, then then you're not able to upload it anymore, and then it's like then you have to email casting, and it becomes a bigger thing. So like that, timely. You want to upload that as soon as the the client sends it in. You want right. to tell the client maybe to send it in an hour or two before the deadline, so that you're creating urgency to the client that because you need that time to be able to upload it. Um, I don't know if that answered your question, but that's, uh, you, it's, it's very much just kind of just using common sense of like what can wait and what is more priority. Sure. And are you pitching new ideas and opportunities for your clients or are you strictly operating under or abiding by like what they want to do and what they've told you they want to do? Both. 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 So one of the first things I'll say when I sign a client is, uh, communication's key. You can call or text me anytime. Um, anything that, anything that comes in that might be right for you, if, you know, if, uh, Colbert, if there's a packet going around and Colbert's looking for new writers, that type Mm -hmm. of thing, um, I'll, like, I'll send it to my clients off the bat because I don't want to pass on any opportunity that they might want, um, or I'll, I'll call them and be like, is this something you'd want to do? But... I'll put that in front of them, and then if they say, and this happens all the time, they're like, it's, it doesn't feel like the right thing for me right now. We're like, I want to focus on X, Y, Z. Um, usually when I'm first starting to work with someone, because down the line I know, I just have more of a sense of what they'll say yes or no to. But um, I always tell them, like, I'll never pressure you to, to yeah, if, if a role doesn't resonate with you, done deal, like, you're not taping for that role. I'll never, there's, mm. if, if like they're on the fence about it and they're like the role, you know, I'm not sure about it. Like, what do you think? If it's for casting directors who are like, they, who I want the client to be on their radar. And it's like, you know, Jeff Greenberg who cast Modern Family, like he's the one casting or, you know, anyone who, I, I, you know, big casting directors, then I'd say, you know what, put it on tape. I want you to be on their radar. Even if this isn't the project, we want them to be a fan of yours. And uh, you never know, you know, what else could come of that. And it also, kind of by the same token, is if there's like a one-line role and I send it to a client and I'm like, yes, this is a co-star role. It's a really small role. But... Um, I've had clients book co-star roles that the casting offices loves them so much that they turn it into a bigger role. Hmm. So I'm very, everything is always a conversation. Um, and I'll kind of, depending on yeah, who's casting it, what the project is, who's producing, like the names behind it, uh, it always depends. Like, is it the right thing or not? And we always talk about it. Sure. So like, well, you'll inject your opinion as well like whether you think this is funny or whether it's not will you yeah. also offer that as well for sure I'll, I'll always I'll send uh, I'll send like just like what the appointment is and then usually you know add add my take about or if like a podcast request comes in for a client um mm. I hear this one <laughs> no I'll say uh, you know if, if I think it's the right move for them or if it's like nah this isn't something you have to do but but it uh, could be fun, like totally your call. Um, 
pretty much always my opinion is not too strong. It leaves it open-ended, but I'll say like leaning yes or no, whether this is something you should do. So this all sounds like really fun and like you're, you're, you're like direct, you're directing all these, all these artists per se to like do a bunch of cool projects that they want to do. But looking at it from more of like a business perspective, are there some opportunities that you're pitching strictly because you know that uh, one of your clients hasn't had a job in a while and they need to make money? How, how much of like, does money play a factor in this stuff? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. Um, I'll start by saying a client of mine who has uh, who has a few credits, um, not you know not that established yet, uh, had a request come in the other day for a short film, and she'd be playing the lead in the short film. We the short film it was the first project that the writer director was doing, so that's always a little bit of. Uh, not skepticism, but just like there, there wasn't really a name behind it, and that's important. It's mm-hmm. important who else is involved in the project, and you know what their credibility is. Um, so I, you know, without thinking like she's definitely going to do this or she's definitely not going to do this, I asked them to send the script over. Uh, I read it. I sent it to the client, and we both read it. It was not that uh, that well written, I'll say, and she could have done it for the. The small rate that was offered to her, but um, but it was not the best career move for her. Hmm. So, it. So you really are putting career first. Absolutely. Oh yeah, yeah. that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. That's um, really cool. I want to talk about like one of my biggest takeaways. I think just from talking right here is how you mentioned like the comedy world and like I guess like there's a lot of people that interact. Like, the people stay within this world, I guess. And I feel like maybe is that, you think, how you got so far in so little time just from being conscious that this world exists and that the people that you're talking to in entertainment are also in this comedy world. Because I feel like when you just generalize film and TV and entertainment you come out to L.A., I feel like just as an aspiring entertainment industry person, you can get somewhat distracted by the people that you're talking to. Like, oh, this guy's a big agent, but maybe he's not in the path I want to go. Or this person's a huge producer, but they do documentaries. So do you think that's a way that kind of kept you on track? By totally. being conscious? Yeah. And when I was just starting at ICM, I was kind of seeing people, you know, going out and getting drinks with, with either coworkers or with just other people in in their similar field who were also in New York, and it automatically just became the culture, um, and that I found to be so important. It's it's the people who we all started as assistants together, and now they're executives and they're you know they're agents or you know or or junior agents or coordinators or whatever it is, um, those relationships are so important at, at the, at the smallest level. And the, I always, um, I always answer if anyone reaches out on LinkedIn or whatever, I'll, I'll take a call with anybody. Oh, I preface that with, I'm talking about aspiring industry, industry professionals, Mm -hmm. not, not talent. (laughs) I, I get like thousands of 
of town and wanted me to read their right. script. And all, all these, all these people listen to this podcast. Right. Like, oh, <laughs> please. Um, no, no, we'll but like, if, <laughs> <laughs> um, but but you know what I mean. It, like, uh, aspiring industry people who want to be on like the business side, whether it's in rep or in development or whatever, and if they don't know what they want to do, I always talk to those people. Um, and I want to help them. And it's, I'm sure this is a very commonly said thing. I forget, I heard it years ago, but like, uh, the person getting coffee for, wait, what is it? The person you're getting coffee for could be getting coffee for you tomorrow. Age does not matter at all. Someone who, you know, is 10 years younger than me, obviously will become like a colleague of mine or someone that I'm going to need to lean on for whatever. So, uh... I barely focus on like the the, high, the higher up like more established people on the business side. I so much more would rather have the connections with the people growing up with me because they're mm-hmm. within the next couple of years they're going to be the ones running the show. Right. And they'll you know introduce me to someone bigger at their company if if needed, whatever. But the people growing up with me, it also is kind of what I said before if they've become really good friends and like it's it, we're all doing the same thing we're all you know in the same world and that's yeah that's definitely something to to focus on it's just meeting the other people you know your age a little older a little younger doing the same thing and you know down the line you'll you'll be helping each other it's cool that you buy into the the lateral networking element of this as well because you did have success kind of jumping the ladder a bit with that agent at ICM I'm blanking on her name yeah you were able to get that yeah. job by you know, connecting with her. So it, it's possible, but you're, you're saying it's a, a lot easier to be, you know, networking with people that you're Definitely. coming up with. Yeah. And you, you sh- don't be afraid to reach out to someone higher up, but I wouldn't, uh, I guess I wouldn't prioritize those over the people younger. Like do both. Mm-hmm. Reach out to anyone you admire, anyone you want to be working with. Right. Wow. That's cool. I'm leaving with some stuff today. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I have no well, idea what time it is. How long we've been here? Oh, we've been here for just an hour. A little over an hour. It's kind of perfect timing. I think we should end it. Yeah, it's a good <laughs> note to end on. All right, well, thank you, Rachel, for coming. Really appreciate thank it. Thank you so much yeah, for having me. Nice to hear from you. Great. You did well on your first podcast. Yeah, it really did. And <laughs> and I guess the last question, too. Like, Do you feel like you, feel like you made it being a comedy manager now like is this kind of the end all be all and just grow up from here if I saw my life now seven years ago when I was trying to figure out what all of this was I would be open the moon yes this is exactly what I want to be doing that's it we'll end on that alright well thank you Rachel thank you my brother Ross for producing and we're the mailroom where we interview aspiring entertainment industry professionals and we'll see you next time